0: We're going to get through this. Brighter days are coming, but it's going to take all the grit and determination we have as Americans to get it done.
1: That's a voice of reason, soon to be residing in the White House. Come on, 2021! Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the
0: feeling there's something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. us to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you
1: from pacifica radio this is the, the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO and Cottage Grove, and KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we're on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Bill, New York, WLPP. Rochester, New York, WRFZ. New Orleans, Louisiana, W-H-I-V, Gallup, New Mexico, K-N-I-Z, Concord, New Hampshire, W-N-H-N, Fayetteville, Arkansas, K-P-S-Q, Seattle, Washington, K-O-D-X, Janesville, Wisconsin, W-A-D-R, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950 K-T-N-F. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe, five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. But today, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show at NicoleSandler.com. And we are counting down 21 days. That would be three weeks until Inauguration Day. Seven days until Joe Biden's Electoral College defeat of Donald Trump will be affirmed by Congress, we hope. Breaking news on that subject. Stay tuned for just a moment. Six days until the final day for Georgia to cast its votes for the state's two critical ongoing U.S. Senate runoff elections that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. And there's so much at stake. Early voting now underway. So welcome to the broadcast. Again, I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host one last time in 2020. And then we say good riddance to a miserable year. I'm going to start right out of the gate. As I mentioned before, with breaking news from Wednesday morning, Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri bucked the wishes of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and announced today that he would do Trump's bidding and object to the certification of the election results when that joint session convenes on January 6th for the purpose of certifying the results. The rules say any member of the House joined by a member of the Senate can contest the electoral votes. So this challenge prompts a floor debate, followed by a vote in each chamber. The move goes against the wishes of Mitch McConnell, who wanted to avoid these votes, which are bound to fail. Why will they fail? Well... Common Wisdom says that given the Democrats' control of the House of Representatives and a number of Senate Republicans who have publicly recognized Biden's victory, including Senator Mitt Romney, who's called Trump's refusal to accept the election results dangerous. And even in the unlikely event that Trump were to prevail in the Senate, where Vice President Pence would be in position to cast a tie-breaking vote if needed, the challenge still would fail given the House vote. Now, in the House, a number of Republicans led by Mo Brooks of Alabama and egged on by the president nevertheless have said they plan to challenge votes in swing states where they claim without evidence that the vote was marred by fraud. Now, before Hawley's announcement, one incoming Republican senator, the newly elected Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, also said that he's considering signing on as well. Now, to add to the circus atmosphere, Trump has also been encouraging his cult members uh, uh, followers to show up in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, tweeting things like, don't miss it. It's going to be wild. Huh? Again, that's still a week away and lots can happen in a week. So, as we count the days until Trump leaves office, we can also see the heavy load of stuff they've been shoveling for four years, including their gaslighting on the issue of peace in the Middle East. We'll get to those so-called peace deals in the next segment, but let's continue with more news. The United States keeps breaking records in a truly horrible way. On Tuesday, the U.S. recorded 3,725 deaths due to COVID-19. One of those 3,725 Americans who died from the coronavirus yesterday is Luke Letlow. The 41-year-old otherwise healthy man with no underlying conditions was supposed to be sworn in this Sunday as a freshman congressman representing Louisiana's 5th district. Back in October. Lutlow warned that we'd be in grave danger if we didn't open the economy back up. While we've
0: been cautious, and I think both at the state and federal level, I think we've taken numerous precautions with COVID-19. We are now in a place where if we do not open our economy, we're in real
1: Congressman-elect Letlow, who was married and had two small children, announced on December 18th that he had tested positive for COVID. He was hospitalized in Shreveport, Louisiana the next day and tweeted on December 21st that he was thankful for the continued outpouring of prayers and support and that he was confident that, with the help of doctors, he would be on the mend soon. He was transferred to the intensive care unit after his condition worsened, and again, he is now dead. Game of Thrones warned, winter is coming. Well, winter is here, and medical experts are warning the rest of us it will be, quote, awful. One epidemiologist said the U.S. is now past the point of waves and spikes and is in the middle of a, quote, viral tsunami. The new COVID-19 variant, first found in the U.K., has also made it to the U.S., with one case recorded in Colorado and another suspected case hovering out there. The new variant spreads more quickly than the original, but apparently does not appear to be more deadly. So we got that going for us. But first, back in D.C. on Tuesday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell twice blocked Democratic efforts to get a vote on boosting the forthcoming stimulus checks from $600 to $2,000, despite demands from Trump and opposition from some prominent congressional Republicans. First Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer tried to get unanimous consent.
0: Will Senate Republicans stand against the House of Representatives, the Democratic majority in the Senate, and the president of their own party to prevent these $2,000 checks from going out the door? We're about to get the answers to these
1: questions. Is there objection to the modification? Object. Objection is heard. That's McConnell objecting. Then Bernie Sanders suggested only voting on the NDAA veto with an assurance that they'll then take up the Cash Act. Again.
2: The leaders of our country, President Trump, President-elect Biden, minority leader Chuck Schumer. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, are all in agreement. We have got to raise that direct payment to $2,000. So that is where we are right now in this historic moment. Do we turn our backs on struggling working families? Or do we respond to their pain?
1: Is there objection to the request for modification?
0: Objection.
1: Objection is heard. Mitch McConnell then started the process of introducing legislation that would combine a few of Trump's other priorities into one giant poison pill that Democrats would be highly unlikely to pass. These other policy requests include a repeal of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which affords social media companies some online liability protections, and the establishment of a commission to study voter fraud. As it now stands, the $600 stimulus checks included in the bill Trump signed over the weekend are scheduled to go out soon. But ultimately, the 116th Congress comes to an end this Sunday. And it could do so without any decision on additional funds or relief. But don't count Bernie Sanders out just yet. As Bernie discussed with Ali Velshi on MSNBC Tuesday night, he doesn't think the Senate should be going anywhere until they vote on the Cash Act. There's always the filibuster.
2: My plan is not complicated. The House did the right thing by, as you indicated, over a two-thirds bipartisan vote. They voted to increase the $600 direct payment to $2,000 for every working-class adult in this country. And that is the right thing to do. So my plan is pretty simple, is to demand that Mitch McConnell allow the United States Senate to vote up or down on that legislation that was passed by the House. And if McConnell allows that to happen, And if we get the 60 votes, and I think we have a shot to do that, we are going to bring massive relief to tens of millions of families in this country who today are struggling They're worried about eviction. They're worried about feeding their kids. They're worried about being able to go to the doctor. Intense suffering out there. This legislation would help very significantly and give people some hope as we end this very, very terrible year. So
1: the Senate is set to reconvene Wednesday afternoon at 3 Eastern. Why so late? I don't know. Uh, With a quorum call set for 5. After that, we'll be paying attention. Meanwhile, health officials are concerned about the slow rollout of tens of millions of vaccine doses. The federal government's Operation Warp Speed promised repeatedly that 20 million doses would be administered before the 1st of January.
0: We will deliver 100 million doses of a safe vaccine before the end of the year. It may be quite a bit sooner than that. We expect to have
2: uh, approximately 40 million doses by the end of this year, so that would allow us to vaccinate 20 million people in December. Overall, in the month of December, between the two vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, we expect to have immunized 20 million Uh, Of uh, our American people uh, and keeping 20 million doses for their second immunization a few weeks later.
1: They sure talk a good game, but talk is cheap and people are dying. In reality, only 11 million doses of the vaccine have even been distributed, and just over 2 million have actually been given to people. Filling the giant leadership void left by the golfing grifter still occupying the office for three more weeks. Joe Biden once again spoke to the American people on Tuesday, sharing the sad, frightening truth about where we stand in relation to the virus. Even
0: if we boost the speed of vaccinations to one million shots a day, it will still take months to have the majority of the United States population vaccinated. I've directed my team to prepare a much more aggressive effort with more federal involvement and leadership to get things back on track. We'll find ways to boost the pace of vaccinations. But as Dr. Fauci and others have stated these past few days, this will take more time than anyone would like and more time than the promises from the Trump administration have suggested. This is going to be the greatest operational challenge we've ever faced as a nation. But we're going to get it done. But It's going to take a vast new effort that's not yet underway.
1: Biden then said that he would invoke the Defense Production Act to ramp up production of materials needed for the vaccines. The law, enacted in 1950, gives the president the power to compel companies to produce and distribute supplies. Biden said that the Trump administration has yet to fully scale up testing, saying, quote, that's a travesty, and took aim at its vaccine distribution efforts that were also lagging behind what had been promised. Add on to that, that Trump's transition team hasn't exactly been helpful, at first refusing to even share information with them about distribution, claiming that there was a plan, even though when finally he was part of the discussions, Biden revealed, "quote, there is no detailed plan that we've seen anyway as to how you get the vaccine out of a container into an injection syringe into somebody's arm." He added, "quote, the Trump administration's plan to distribute vaccines is falling behind." far behind as I long feared and warned the effort to distribute and administer the vaccine is not progressing as it should. While the thin-skinned orange man, Donald Trump, who has yet to even speak with the president-elect, tweeted at him that, quote, it is up to the states to distribute the vaccines once brought to the designated areas by the federal government. We have not only developed the vaccines. No, you haven't including putting up money to move the process along quickly, but gotten them to the states. Biden failed with the swine flu, rounds out that tweet. Actually, Joe Biden was not in charge of the Obama administration's response to H1N1 in 2009, which, by the way, broke out three months after Obama took office. Regardless, Biden finished up his information packed, but very quick, 10 minute long address by warning that we are behind where we need to be and breaking with the Trump administration, warning that things are going to get much worse before they get better. The spike in infections along with the fallout from holiday gatherings means we're gonna be seeing lots of cases in January and high death tolls in February.
0: We need to be honest. The next few weeks and months are going to be very tough, a very tough period for our nation. Maybe the toughest during this entire pandemic. I know it's hard to hear, but it's the truth. As Roosevelt said, I think the American people can take whatever we tell them if we tell them straight from the shoulder. We need to steel our spines for what's ahead. We need to follow even more closely the recommendations to slow the spread of the virus. And each of us needs to do what we can to protect ourselves, our families, and our fellow Americans. We're going to get through this. Brighter days are coming, but it's going to take all the grit and determination we have as Americans to get it done.
1: And then there were three. The U.K. on Wednesday became the first country in the world to approve a coronavirus vaccine created by Oxford University and pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca. The developers said they hoped it will become the vaccine for the world because of its low cost and ease of storage. This vaccine uses normal refrigeration, while the other vaccines currently in use require ultra-cold storage. A separate trial on this vaccine is still underway here in the U.S. From the we-really-need-a-functioning-justice-department department, The Louisville, Kentucky Metro Police Department on Tuesday moved to fire the officers who fired the shot that killed Breonna Taylor and who got a judge's approval to raid her home. Huh? Yeah. Detective Miles Cosgrove, who fired the fatal shot and Detective Joshua Janes, who prepared the search warrant, had been reassigned pending the investigation. So let's get this straight. In June, a third detective, Brett Hankinson, was the only one indicted over the incident because he shot into the wall and some of his bullets entered a neighbor's apartment. He was indicted, the only charge that arose out of the episode. But the one who killed Brianna Taylor, he might be fired? Seriously? Seriously? In another sickening travesty of justice, the so-called Justice Department said it would file no criminal charges in the 2014 police killing of Tamir Rice, a black 12-year-old who was playing with a toy gun. Joe Biden still hasn't announced his pick for Attorney General, but it better be somebody great. And finally, I guess we can add masochist to the list of Trump's mental disorders. Donald Trump's campaign... Wait a minute, he still has a campaign? The election was over eight weeks ago and he lost. All right, I'm just reading it. The campaign has filed a second suit with the US Supreme Court. This time using a false report from a pro-Trump conspiracy theory website called the Epoch Times, asking the justices to throw out the election results from Wisconsin. I just can't anymore. One last bit of news before we move on. The Senate reconvened this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. After two hours of debate, they voted to open debate on overriding of Trump's veto of the National Defense Authorization Act. And as we speak at press time, they are currently debating. This is going to go on for a while. So if anything major happens, check bradblog.com. I'm sure Brad will update the news there because after this show, we're done for, for the year. Brad and Desi will be back in 2021. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, we'll call Israel and talk with a progressive peace activist who calls those so-called peace deals that Trump has been touting, quote, cynical and despicable, worthy of all condemnation. Adam Keller of Gush Shalom, the Israeli peace bloc, joins me next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad.
2: Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
1: We're back. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Along with the end of the year, we're counting down the final days of the Trump administration. It's been four long years filled with lies, gaslighting and propaganda. One of the more reprehensible falsehoods they've pushed is the idea that, led by Jared Kushner, The Trump administration has negotiated Middle East peace. Really? Actually, what was fostered during this time was an unholy alliance between the right-wing Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who, by the way, is under indictment on a number of counts of corruption and worse, along with the right-wing American dictator wannabe Donald Trump. When the administration announced the first of their so-called peace agreements, this one between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, my first thought was, when were Israel and the UAE at war? Over the next few months, they rolled out a few more of these deals with Bahrain, Sudan, and finally, just a few weeks ago, they announced a fourth one, saying, quote, President Donald Trump has brokered a peace agreement between Israel and Morocco. Morocco? This one, though, might have been the most offensive of the four, as this so-called deal legitimizes the Moroccan occupation of the Western Sahara, similar to how Israel is occupying the West Bank. Now, some years ago, I learned about Gush Shalom. It's the Israeli peace bloc. It was a movement led by activist Yuri Avneri. I had the distinct honor of interviewing him a few times over the years. His is a fascinating story. Well into his 90s, Avnery passed away a few years ago. But Gush Shalom continues its advocacy for peace and a two-state solution. So after the so-called peace deal between Morocco and Israel was announced, I got an email from Adam Keller. He is a co-founder with Avnery of Gush Shalom. It was a statement strongly condemning this deal. So I reached out to Mr. Keller to get the side of the Israel story that the corporate mainstream media over here does not report on. Adam Keller has a thick accent, but I took great pains to edit the interview to make it as easy to understand as possible. So I hope you will give it a listen and just know that his position is not an isolated one. As I told him, Just as I have nothing but contempt for the administration currently in power over here, I know that there are many Israelis equally horrified by the Netanyahu regime. So we recorded this interview on December 11th. Just a heads up, there's been important developments in Israel since then. At the end of the interview, I'll share with you the follow-up email I received from Adam just a few days ago. On the line with us is Adam Keller. He's the spokesman for and actually a co-founder of Gush Shalom, the Israeli peace bloc. It, it is the preeminent peace movement in Israel. Gush Shalom has been together for many years. In fact, as I mentioned in my email to you, I've had the privilege a number of times over the years to speak with Uri Avnery, who we lost a couple of years ago. So you worked with yes, Uri to...
3: Very, very, very... Very much missed.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, what? A, what a great he was man! So,
3: my personal friend, the mm. co-worker. For
1: people who don't know over here in the states who are not familiar with Gush Shalom, can you tell them the background and and how you came together and what you stand for?
3: Yes, we, Gush Shalom is a grassroots peace movement which started back in '92. Actually, there was a time when, early in term of Rabin, when we were quite disappointed with him, and it seemed that his uh, promise of uh, making peace was not full, was not being fulfilled, and that there were some some steps which he took in the opposite direction, and we actually came out uh, started in opposition to him. Hmm. And there was the, the act which he took of uh, expelling more than 400 Palestinian Islamic leaders to, to Lebanon because as retaliation for killing of ex an, uh, kidnapping and killing of an Israeli policemen. and we felt that that's not that's not what we expected of a peace leader. So we started protesting against him actually. And we were for a whole month uh, sitting in a tent in front of the Prime Minister's Bureau in Jerusalem, demanding that these people be allowed to come back. And then, in fact, in uh, January '93, Clinton came in, and the very first Middle East issue which came on his desk was this issue of the Palestinians being expelled to Lebanon. And then Clinton, in his, uh, actually in his first conversation with Rabin, reached a compromise that they will be allowed to come back after a year. So this issue was uh, well off the agenda, but we continued the peace movement, which start, continued to act. And then there was a time, at the time of Oslo, we were um, critically supporting Rabin and the uh, calling upon him to go forward more boldly on on what he started which unfortunately he did not do and um, anyway uh, and then of course afterwards we were very strongly opposed to Netanyahu um so we had uh, very many ups and downs and uh, I have to say, you said we are a preeminent peace movement. We have never been a very big movement, mm. unfortunately, mm-hmm. but uh, we consider our role as being the radical part, which is saying unpopular things, which uh, which is trying to influence more mainstream groups.
1: Right. Well, what yeah. what you are for is, is peace and peace with the Palestinians. You oppose yes. what Netanyahu and his government is doing, as I do the Trump administration over here. You know, a lot of people in the U.S. unfortunately have soured on Israel because of the way Netanyahu is running the nation. And I want to make sure that they know that groups like Gush Shalom exist, that not everybody in Israel is in favor of what Netanyahu is doing. And the reason Mm -hmm. that I called you today, is because yes. you sent an email from, from Gushalom, basically saying that you strongly condemn this agreement with Morocco. Mm-hmm. You call it a cynical deal mm-hmm. between Israeli occupation of the West Bank and Moroccan occupation of the Western Sahara. So, Donald Trump is trying to take credit for Middle East peace with now four deals um, that that yeah. he's touted in, in the last couple of months. This one with Morocco, one with um, the UAE and Bahrain, United,
3: United Arab Emirates, uh, mm-hmm. Bahrain, and Sudan.
1: And Sudan. Do the vast majority of Israelis agree with this strategy? No,
3: uh, yeah, let's say. Let's say uh, of course, of course uh, an ordinary Israeli who hears on the media that Netanyahu is saying, I achieved, I with my great friend <laughs> uh, Donald Trump have achieved a peace with an Arab country, then another peace, and then another peace, then. Another peace, then when you are not a very, very uh, sophisticated or radical person, then of course it sounds very impressive. But the point, the point is, the point is, that, and always made it very clear himself. There has been in uh, in 2002 the Arab Peace Initiative, which was adopted in the Arab Summit in Beirut, uh, well, uh, with at the proposal of of Saudi Arabia, actually which offered that all the Arab countries, all the Arab and Muslim countries in the world even, would make peace with Israel and uh, establish full diplomatic relations on condition that Israel will withdraw from the occupied territories and let the Palestinians create their own state. Right, And this uh, Arab initiative has been on the table ever since, but there were no takers from the Israeli side because the Israeli government since the, 2002, and especially the government of Netanyahu, uh, thought that uh, this with the Arab countries would be very nice, but giving a Palestinians a state and gi- giving up the West Bank is too high a price. They didn't want to pay this price, so they were looking for ways to... A bypass this. Uh, so they wanted to have the cake, uh, to have the cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. To have the peace with the Arab countries without uh, giving the Palestinians their state, while keeping the West Bank under occupation and uh, and eating the West Bank and having peace peace with the Arab world. That would be the exact uh, exact terminology. And uh, uh, and uh, unfortunately, in the last few years, with the very very big help of of Trump and uh, and his crew like uh, Kushner, mm-hmm. uh, they, uh, Netanyahu considerably succeed with. In fact, you could say with uh, with each Arab country, there was found something which this country needed very much from the United States. And then the United States was willing to give to that car- country what it wanted in exchange for this country making a peace and normalization with Israel. So, United Arab Emirates wanted the latest uh, fighter airplanes yeah. from the United States, and then, the, and then the United States uh, told them, uh, "Kokoshnik, I mean, on behalf of Trump, told them, mm-hmm. if you make a peace with Israel and normalization with Israel, you get your fighter planes." Uh, Sudan very much wanted to get off the, the list of uh, uh, what's called uh, terror supporting states right. because that was imposed on them sanctions which were uh, destroying their economy. And there is a new government in Sudan which overthrew the the old regime of, of Mashar, who was really a war criminal and who did all kinds of things which got them into this uh, list of terrorist states. And they were, in fact, not the new regime was not responsible, but they were still on this list of uh, terrorist states. And then the United States said, if you make peace with Israel, then you get off this list. And now there's the third stage with Morocco. Morocco, for a long time, has been occupying the... Western Sahara, uh, oppressing oppressing its uh, its population. And in fact, they have been very, I think, consciously emulating the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, including especially the sending of an enormous lot of Moroccan settlers into this territory, like Israel sending uh, settlers into the West Bank. And then uh, there has been United Nations resolutions calling upon Morocco to give up this territory. But yeah. Morocco has is, uh, is, uh, found all kinds of reasons not to do it. Now uh, now there was this, from a point of view of, of the Moroccan monarchy, of course, it is a very tempting deal. Uh, uh, we recognize uh, Moroccan sovereignty on Western Sahara, and you make peace with Israel.
1: Right, right, and, uh, amazing. Yeah, and, and as part of the deal, the White House said that the U.S. would recognize Morocco's claim over the Western yeah. Sahara. Yes, which... uh,
3: that, that was a very clear quid pro quo. Yeah, Morocco would not have done would not have done it without uh, the recognition. So, and that is for us. It is an especially grievous thing, because not on let 's say the whole this whole move of making peace with Arab countries without giving up the occupation of the West of the Palestinians is for us not something conductive to peace but something which is destroying peace because it is putting more far away the peace which we really need the peace which we, we need with the Palestinians of course. With our, our direct neighbors with whom we have had a war which in fact it started long before there wasn't even in Israel, which started with the very beginning of the Zionist movement. And which has claimed very, very many uh, victims—Israeli uh, victims and Palestinian victims—and and, and uh, other victims who came into the field of fire—and still continued and will continue. I'm, I'm afraid will continue for very long when we don't make peace. And and this having uh, agreements with peripheral Arab countries with which Israel, in fact, never was in real war, which never conducted war against Israel, were too far away right. to conduct war against Israel, even if they wanted is not helping, but damaging. And with Morocco, it is especially grievous because it has made Israel directly complicit in the oppression of people in Western Sahara, people who are very far from Israel, who have certainly never harmed Israel, never threatened Israel in any way. And we've been for, I think, they have been uh, uh, conducting now a fight of independence, I think, for 50 years. First, when it was still a Spanish colony, they were then uh, fighting against uh, Spanish co- uh, colonialism, and then when Spain decided to to withdraw from there, then they wanted to have their uh, their independent state like other colonies. But uh, Morocco decided to grab it, and and uh, and then they continued their fight uh, against Moroccan army and. Uh, It is not one of the liberation struggles which is very prominent in the the world media. I think not very very many people know about it. Not very many Americans know about it. Also, not very many Israelis know about it. Only people who are really taking interest in in such things know about it. Right. We in
1: and, and until this news broke, I honestly didn't know about it. But the more I read about it, the more horrified I am. Yes. So, yes. Um, Adam Keller, if if you and Gush Shalom and others who are of a like mind had your way, what would the relationship be with the Palestinians? What would happen to the people on the Gaza Strip and the West Bank? How would that? Uh, what would happen
3: uh, there? Well, uh, well, I think that this is not something new, which we are we are uh, suddenly discovering. Or it is. Being Been on the drawing board, you could say, for 50 years at least. Mm -hmm. The idea is that Palestinians will have their own independent state in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, and that uh, Jerusalem, uh, which will be side by side with Israel, which will have a peace agreement with Israel. And, uh, and that uh, Jerusalem will be both capital of Israel and capital of Palestine. That is, West Jerusalem will be the capital of Israel as it is now. East Jerusalem will be capital of Palestine, and the whole city will have uh, one uh, joint municipal authority and will be an open city, which where people could travel freely from one side to the other. That is what we have been advocating. In fact, since Gush Shalom has been created in 92, and in fact, Gush Shalom is. Uh, Successor to all kind of earlier organisations which have been advocating it since '67, and we have never, in fact, have been advocating peace between Israel what is now called Israelis and what is now called Palestinians, even before Israel was created in, mm-hmm. in the late in the late '40s, when '45, 40, '46. 40, you could see in the air that such a big war between between these two sides is coming, and he was a young man. He and several other young people tried to create a group which will avert this war, which everybody knew that was coming, and unfortunately, and uh, which was trying then to advocating for. Uh, the Jews and the Arabs in what was then Palestine to to unite against the British colonialism and uh, that they unite with the whole uh, Middle East in uh, in fighting against uh, British and French colonialism. Here they had a very clear program which. Uh, could have saved, I don't know how many people if it would have been accepted, but of course it was not accepted.
1: Hmm. And I want to make sure people know that Uri Avneri, who we just spoke about, back in 1982 had a meeting with Yasser Arafat. This has been a yes. long goal, is to make peace between the yes. two uh, nations. Um, yeah, yeah.
3: And it was a very dram- very under very dramatic uh, dramatic circumstance because the Israeli army was besieging uh, West Beirut where Arafat had his headquarters, and um, they were certainly seeking to kill Arafat or to to end. They were bombing, bombing his headquarters every day. He had to to hide from the airplanes on the ground, and we have nearly just came to Beirut. As in fact, as. Uh, military correspondent he was then the editor of his own weekly magazine which was advocating this very radical peace movement position but he had credentials as a journalist and that that enabled him to go to beirut and talk with soldiers like war correspondents do always and then he just uh, in fact took a taxi in uh, in Beirut, because because in the, there were taxi drivers going from one side of the front to the other, and uh, the taxi took him to the headquarters of Arafat. And then he, it was the the first time when he when he met with Arafat. He already before that had been meeting with the lower levels of the PLO and uh, then, and that of course was uh, was quite risky because in theory at least he could have been tried for treason
1: yeah. and uh,
3: but uh, there were there were some people on the right wing who wanted to uh, wanted to try him. The Begin government did not decided not to do it but uh was certainly he could not know it in advance that, uh, that Legally, he would get away with it.
1: Is, is there any communication now between your group or people on the left, people who are progressive, who want a two-state solution, who want peace? Is there any communication with the Palestinians these days, or is all communication yes. cut off?
3: Yeah, there is, there is communication. In fact, the Palestinian Authority... Uh, which uh, which is not in a very good shape because, in fact, it, it has a very very little power, real power on the ground, mm-hmm. has its own um, special department for dialogue with the Israeli society, and there are very good people who are uh, also uh, speaking good Hebrew and uh, have a very good knowledge of the Israeli society and the Israeli political system. And they are doing their best to 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 advance the advance the, the idea of of peace. But uh, I, of course, everybody knows it's no it's not uh, news that the uh, peace movement in Israel is not in a good shape at this mm. moment. And the, the fact is that most people in Israel just think that peace is not possible. Peace with the Palestinians is not possible. You could say if you take the Oslo process as it was actually implemented by actual Israeli government, which claimed to be implementing it, and you define this as peace, then definitely the then peace has failed. And the Israelis, Israelis, just ordinary Israelis, uh, are taking it in that way. They say, wow. we try to make peace, and mm. peace is not possible, so what can we do? We have to live without peace. And then uh, Netanyahu comes and says, okay, so with Palestinians it's not possible, but with other Arab countries it is possible, and people say, yeah, wonderful. By the way, I wanted to say that I think quite important, the, because you mentioned that want to convey that there is... a and not every Israeli is supporting Netanyahu, that there is in the last half a year, there is a very strong grassroots movement of especially young people who are demonstrating every week, and sometimes two or three times a week, nearly every day, uh, against Netanyahu and calling for him to resign, and outside his residence in Jerusalem and all over the country, and just, just yesterday, me and my wife, when we were walking through the street of Tel Aviv, we saw suddenly this uh, quite militant procession of young people who said, mm. Netanyahu, go, Netanyahu, go, we wow. don't want you. Good. And it's not officially about the occupation of the Palestinians. It is mainly about that he's, he's been indicted on yes. serious crimes right. of, 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 of uh, corruption. And he found a loophole in the, in the law which says that uh, a prime minister in Israel can be indicted on corruption uh, charges and still remain prime minister wow. until and unless the, the court has actually found him
1: guilty. But now you guys, you had an election last year because I yes, watched. We had
3: three election. right, elections. Right. And he
1: lost. And yes. So how is he still in power? I, I know yes, it's what no, Donald I, Trump is trying it, to it, do.
3: It is, it is complicated. I think it is a little bit complicated. Yeah. It is a bit difficult perhaps for Americans to understand the Israeli political system because <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you have uh, such a strong entrenched uh, two-party system. Well,
1: Trump is trying but to fix it, that, but but, uh, yeah.
3: but in in Israel in Israel we have a proportional representation,
1: uh-huh.
3: which is, in my view, a more better and more more democratic than the American system. That means that people don't have to choose either the one big party or the other big party. There could be small and middle-sized parties uh, which can each compete uh, in the elections. And let's let's say, for example, if uh, if uh, United States had the kind of system political system which uh, which we have in Israel, then, for example, Bernie Sanders could have run his own independent mm. uh, of the Democratic Party, uh-huh. and could have gotten perhaps. Uh, Ten or fifteen percent, or more. I don't know how much he would probably more. Alone. Yeah. And then in Israel, and uh, never any party gets a majority in the Knesset. So uh, after the elections, there is always uh, parties have to form a coalition uh, to rule together, and then uh, radical parties could demand con- significant concessions. For, right. Uh, so uh, yeah. so a, so in this uh, theory, if you had this situation in the United States, then. Bernie Sanders would have let's say fifteen or twenty percent in the senate mm-hmm. and then and then Biden would have in order to be pres to be president or prime minister in the israeli system would have to negotiate with him and would say, "What do you want in right. exchange for for your support so Anyway, but the but the, the the other side of this is that it is creating, of course, um, a less stability. That means that sometimes after the elections, then you don't know for sure who won the elections. But right. the question is, uh, who is <laughs> going to to mobilise support of parties um, of smaller parties?
1: Sure, and, and, and form and, a coalition. And, uh, yeah. I and, got
3: it. And there is there is the the racist element yes. that there is the Arabs in Israel have uh, well, uh, there is about 20% of the citizens of Israel are Arabs. And they have several several different parties, uh, which have quite different ideological uh, meaning and ideological inclinations. Some of them are secular, some of them are religious. Uh, one of the, the communist party in Israel is quite important party, mm. which uh, has been the traditionally the uh, representation of of the Arabs in Israel in the 50s and the 60s. In fact, it was that. The only party which really represented the interests of Arabs in Israel, but now there are others. Anyway, in the last elections, the, the Arabs in Israel, all the different parties, which have been quite different opinions about such issues as, for example, the the rights of homosexuals, there is their... Uh, Progressive Arabs were in favor of the rights of homosexuals uh-huh. and, the, and the conservative Arabs were against uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. But they they made a unity because as a, a national minority, which is uh, suffering very much discrimination sure. in the Israeli uh-huh. society, and they had quite a strong block, more than 10% of the Knesset. But uh, there are um, say, racist elements in the Israeli political system, which say that a government should not rely for its support on Arab Knesset members; that Arabs are not reliable, they are supporters of terrorism, all oh. kind of things like that. And that was, in fact, in fact, that was created the situation that after the last elections, we already have had, you know, three elections in in one and a half years. And uh, after the last time, there was a small majority against Netanyahu. It was the prime right. member, yes, has 120 seats, and we had 62 against Netanyahu and 58 in favor of Netanyahu. So, in theory, these 62 could have formed a government together. But this 62 included on the one side the 15 mm. Arabs, mm-hmm. and on the other side it included several quite uh, racist people who oh. say that we are not willing to be part of a coalition together with Arabs. Wow. So, and that, that created the situation that also that there was a majority against Netanyahu, but uh, it was not possible to transform this majority into uh, another government which will uh, be headed by somebody else. I see. Okay. No, and then shame. and then we had the, the end. Netanyahu succeeded to induce some of the opposition to go to his government, and that created a very unsteady government, which is all the time divided by among itself, and is all the time the ministers are fighting against each other. And now this government, this very shaky government, which is very misgoverned Israel, and especially uh, was very badly dealing with the coronavirus, is now on the verge of collapsing, and probably we are going to new elections
1: you Wow months. well hopefully uh, yours will be more definitive than last time and and you won't have a craziness like what we have going on yeah. over here thank you you've clarified a lot for our listeners and I hope that they'll take that to heart and know that it's not the Israelis that they don't like. It's the current government. Same thing I feel about yes. over here. And we're hoping that this all works out. Donald Trump, you know, is trying to steal the election and overturn the free will of the majority of the American people. Uh, we're not yes. going to let that happen.
3: So, yes, um, yes. I, we are, of course, also following this uh, this outrageous uh, Texas appeal to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that is, by the way, very much in parallel because uh, Netanyahu is, in fact, doing all kinds of tricks to to keep in power, wow. so there there is a very much could um, say convergence of people all over the world, uh, absolutely, or, or heads of government, heads of states all over the world who are behaving in the same way. You have you have Netanyahu in Israel, you have Viktor Orbán in Hungary, you have mm-hmm. Bolsonaro in Brazil, uh, you have the. Erdogan in Turkey? In, 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 Philippines? in Philippines? Yeah. Uh, yes. You have, you have all over the world, uh, Modi in India. Mm-hmm. You have nationalist, demagogic uh, people who get to power. With uh, Putin in Russia, I think you can also uh, yes. put oh, add yes. this list. Absolutely. People who keep the, the formal structure of democracy, that they go to elections and, and win the elections, but who are behaving in a very authoritarian and anti-democratic way. And all these people are very naturally uh, cooperating with each other, feeling affinity to each other, and uh, helping each other as much as they can. And we hope very much that uh, the end of Trump will be uh, beginning of the end for all the other uh, Trumps around the world.
1: Yes, well, I, I hope so. Adam Keller, again, I invite people to check out uh, the, the website gush-shalom.org. I'll put a link on my blog, along with today's podcast, so you can get there. All of Uri Avneri's writings for so many years are there, and that alone is worth the, the, the price of admission. And, and, and it's in both English and Hebrew. Um, Adam, and- uh, happy Hanukkah uh, is that yes. a, is it a big deal over there? It is here. Yeah,
3: it is it is uh, something which people like, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, for uh, eight days. Mm-hmm. You every evening uh, light candles mm-hmm. and, uh, and sing sing uh, traditional songs, uh, and um, uh, that's of course very nice, especially for children. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, it is it is in many ways the the Jewish equivalent of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And prob- prob- probably probably both, both the Jewish Hanukkah and the, and the, and the um, uh, Christian Christmas have uh, common roots in the cl- culture, which was before Judaism and before Christianity.
1: That's right. That's right. All right. Well, go spin your dreidel to <laughs> Adam Keller. Thank you so much uh, for your time today and and a lot of information. And I'm so glad yeah. you're keeping uh, Gushalom going because it's yeah. very important. Uh, thank you for your work. And it's it's very yeah. nice to and talk with you. Thank you for your work, that's adam keller co-founder of the israeli peace bloc gush shalom i hope you found that as enlightening a conversation as i did so we taped that a couple of weeks ago on december 11th and just last week it was actually the day after christmas i received another email from adam he wrote quote since we spoke events moved fast in israeli politics the knesset which is the Israeli parliament, the Knesset was dissolved, and we go to new elections, the fourth time in the past two years. There is a concrete chance of getting rid of Netanyahu, but a real danger that he will be replaced by Gideon Saar, a politician who is a bit less of a demagogue than Netanyahu, but at least as right-wing. In American terms, that would be like getting rid of Trump and instead getting George W. Bush. Anyway, the next few months are going to be interesting one way or another. Please keep in touch. And I will. You know, this is the time of year we wish for peace on Earth. We need real peace on Earth, not the Trump perversion of what peace is. All right. We got one more segment of the broadcast to go before we sign off for the year. I made the decision that I was not going to do a year in review this year, because 2020, enough said, right? But others have. And I found a few that managed to get the tone right. So I'll share some of them with you on the other side. Don't go away. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the (laughs) broadcast. Welcome back to the broadcast for the final segment of new shows for 2020. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com, filling in one more time for Brad and Desi. Well, in 2020 anyway. So I mentioned I decided not to do a year-in-review program just because I frankly don't want to relive this year. There are a number of good ones out there. We have time for one segment of one of my favorite year-end traditions. I live in South Florida, and one of the few redeeming qualities of life down here are the columnists for the Miami Herald. We boast Carl Hyson, who's a brilliant author as well. Leonard Pitts also calls the Miami Herald his flagship paper. And Dave Barry, who's a humorist and an author and a columnist for the Miami Herald in every year He wraps up the year with a rousing year in review. I don't have time to read the whole thing, though. I'll put a link at bradblog.com where the show is posted. And I'll also share a full reading of the entire column on my New Year's Eve show, which you can hear on the Progressive Voices Network or at NicoleSandler.com. Just go and check it out. There's no paywall. So Dave Barry goes through the year month by month. But he combined March and April into a new entity that he calls Marpril? Mapril? Marpril? It's an excerpt from Dave Barry's 2020 In Review, subtitled, And We Thought Past Years Were Awful. Mar starts off calmly enough as the Democratic Party, desperate to find an alternative to 132 year old white guy Bernie Sanders, settles on 132 year old white guy Joe Biden, who cruises to a series of primary victories after replacing no malarkey with a bold new campaign slogan, somewhat alert at times. Biden is endorsed by most of his Democratic opponents, including Mike Bloomberg, who spent more than five hundred million dollars on his campaign, which seems like a lot of money until you consider that he won the American Samoa caucuses, narrowly edging out Tulsi Gabbard, who spent thirteen dollars and fifty cents and then sprinkled in amid all the political coverage, we begin to see reports that this coronavirus thing might be worse than we've been led to believe. Although at first the authorities still seem to be saying that "Eh, it's basically the flu and there's no reason to panic. But all of a sudden there seems to be no hand sanitizer for sale anywhere, which makes some sense. Although there's also no toilet paper as if people are planning to be pooping for weeks on end. And then we learn that Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks has the virus. And now they're saying it's a lot worse than the flu. And we need to wash our hands and not touch our faces and maintain a social distance of six feet and use an abundance of caution to flatten the curve, whatever the curve is. But they're also saying we don't need face masks. No, scratch that. Now they're saying we do need face masks, but nobody has any face masks. But hey, here's a funny meme about toilet paper. But oh, my God, look at these statistical disease models, we're all going to die. But Trump says maybe this hydroxy something medicine will work. No, it won't. Yes, it will. No, it won't. And now they're saying there won't be enough ventilators or hospital beds or PPE. And Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are saying everybody has to shelter at home or else we are all definitely going to die. Hey, here's another funny toilet paper meme. But seriously, what is PPE? And is that different from PPP? And where will we get the ventilators? And there won't be enough hospital beds. And there is still no hand sanitizer. And I keep touching my face and they just canceled the NBA. And can they even do it? Wait, now they canceled all the sports and closed all the schools, the colleges, the stores, the restaurants, the bars, the theaters, the hair salons, the parks, the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. And now they're saying we need to stay at home for how long? What about the toilet paper? I can't stop touching my damn face. Are you seriously telling me all this because somebody ate a freaking bat? Maybe Amazon is toilet paper. Oh, my God, they're sold out, too. What is the deal with the toilet paper? Not another Zoom meeting. I'm so tired of shouting at people in little boxes. Maybe I should take a shower. But what's the point? Hey, here's a bunch more funny memes. Oh my God, look at the stock market, the price of oil. Maybe I'll just take a peek at my 401k. Oh no, what are people doing with all this toilet paper? And how long do we have to keep being abundantly cautious. What did Trump say about the ventilators? And what did Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci say about what Trump said about the ventilators? And what did Trump say about what they said about what he said about what the ventilators, ventilators, ventilators? Look at these models. We are still going to die. But do we really want to go on living in a world where there's no toilet paper and every single TV commercial sounds like? As we navigate these difficult times together, the National Association of Folding Chair Manufacturers wants you to know that we are committed to running these TV commercials with a somber narrator telling you how committed we are. And Why would somebody eat a damn bat? These memes are getting old. And do you think Carol Baskin woman actually fed her husband to a tiger? Maybe we should order pizza tonight. Wait, I think we had pizza last night. Are you sure it's Tuesday because it feels more like Thursday? No, please, God, not another freaking Zoom meeting. Stop already with the memes. If the tiger ate her husband, shouldn't there be a skeleton somewhere? Are we flattening the curve yet, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Brooks, because we're in a recession? No, wait, maybe it's a depression. Look at the unemployment numbers. We are never going to recover from this virus. If it doesn't kill us, we will starve to death. We need more money from the government. We need billions. No, we need trillions. No, we need more trillions. Where is this money coming from? We have to open the economy up. But if we do, we will all die. Hey, I found some toilet paper. Oh, no, it's one ply, which is basically the same as using your bare hand. Thank God I also found some hand sanitizer. And speaking of good news, Bernie Sanders is endorsing Joe Biden. So apparently they're both still alive. If I see one more meme, I'm going to puke and my face mask. I'm afraid to get on a scale. My thighs are basically two armadillo sized wads of pizza dough. Hey, Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci. When will we have a vaccine? Will we have herd immunity? When can we go outside? When can we go back to work? What is the new normal? Good Lord. What did Trump say about disinfectants? Don't inject Clorox, you idiots. What about the food chain? What about reinfection? What about the second wave? Hey, they're showing the NFL draft and Georgia is opening the tattoo parlors and holy crap. Now it's May. Get the idea. Dave Barry, as he does every year. <laughs> somehow consented to doing the 2020 in review. So I'm sharing it with you because I wasn't about to do. Instead, I'll just take a moment at the end of the program to say thank you. Thank you for voting. Thank you for staying involved, staying aware, following the news and supporting progressive media. I'm thankful that I get to work with people like Brad Friedman and Desi Doyan. And I'm thankful that they put out the broadcast every day and the Green News Report twice a week. And I'm thankful for their friendship. I do enjoy guest hosting for Brad and Desi here on the broadcast, but I also do my own show uh, weekdays. It's a live show. It's a live show airing on the Progressive Voices Network and some other stations, and also available as a podcast, not behind any paywall. So if you haven't yet, I invite you to check it out at NicoleSandler.com. In fact, there's all kinds of stuff on the website. So have at it. You've got a long weekend ahead. Explore. Well, we are getting to that time of the hour. We're just about done. I know we always sign off this show by saying good luck, world. Today, I'll say I'm Nicole Sandler your guest host today, filling in for Brad and Desi on the broadcast, wishing you better things and a very happy new year. See you in 2021.